I want to invite you this morning to be a little bit reflective and consider sort of the big picture of life. And, and what is it all for? And as people of faith who have gathered here to worship together, we perhaps are people who have asked that question and answered it, that there is a, a greater meaning and purpose in life than the normal day-to-day -day grind. But even as people of faith, we can at times perhaps lose sight, uh, get kind of caught up in the day-to-day -day grind of life. And, and life is a grind. It is a toil. You will get up tomorrow morning and you have to get at whatever you have to get at for the day. You could be someone like Fernando who has to get up every two to three hours to feed the baby and to help with that whole process. Uh, you, maybe you're caring for children or uh, you just have your work stuff or maybe you have medical appointments and treatments or you have school and classes or whatever you have to face each day, it can be a grind. Um, even, even lazy people don't think they're lazy. They think they're working hard. We all work hard. You're all so tired at the end of the day, you fall asleep. I mean, this is this is the rhythm of life. Life can be inherently wearying, and if we lose sight of the purpose and meaning of it all, it, it, it's, we can get dragged down. We are, so I want to consider that this morning for all of us. We are in the middle of a section of this letter. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and we're right in the middle of a section where he's talking about this great transfer that's happened in life where he had all these things in his life that he considered accomplishments, things that would make him acceptable before God, ways that he kept the Old Testament law in his pedigree of uh, religious learning and his zeal for all these things and all this wonderful stuff that would be to his credit in God's eyes. And he said he's taken all those credits, he's put it into the lost column and into that place, Jesus, that I have a goodness, not that I, these are all these self-righteous things. I've moved them here. I count them as losses. I count them as a pile of dung, essentially is what he said. And now I know the all-surpassing greatness of putting Jesus here. Now we get to the part of the letter where he says, okay, the reality of that is going to change the way I live every day. And I want to look at four ways to live that out, the new reality that Jesus Christ is to our credit, is our righteousness. It's not a righteousness that I earned before God. It's one that I received by faith alone that God has given me based on what Jesus has done. And we're going to live out that reality because our faith as followers of Jesus Christ is not a one-time thing. It is a lifelong process. It is a journey. And, you know, we often talk about this, you know, the moment of putting our faith in Christ, and that's a very important moment in our lives when we have transferred our trust from ourselves to our Lord. But then the implications of that are, are a lifetime of, of journey and of process and of experiencing Jesus and experiencing his love and knowing him. So I want to look at four ways we can foster that, ways we can live that. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you have brought us to this place, Lord. I believe that everybody is in this room, including me, everybody here, for a reason, that you are at work in this place and that you desire to reveal yourself and your heart to us by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge that. We give this time to you. We pray that you would be our teacher. 
Open the eyes of our hearts to understand your way. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, four ways to live out the implications of, of what it means that it's not my righteousness anymore. I'm focusing on Jesus. My faith is in him. The first is suffering. Identifying with Jesus in suffering. Verse 10. Take a look. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. And it may seem strange for somebody like Paul who met Jesus, who had a, a Jesus literally stopped him right in the middle of a journey and appeared to him and called him to a new life to say, I want to know Jesus, because he already knew Jesus. But what he's saying is, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him more. And one of the ways that we can know Jesus more is through suffering. When, if you want to experience someone who you only know at a distance, one of the ways you can do that is to sort of walk where they walk. You, you know, if you go to a place where a famous person has been or where a famous thing has happened, you can understand it in a little bit deeper way. You know, I can, um, you know, you can, you can learn about the Boston Massacre reading in a book, but then you can walk the Freedom Trail and you can go to the spot where it actually happened, where the people were standing and where the, where the snow was thrown and all these things. You can, you can go to those places and you, can, you experience them in a different way. You could go, some people go even to the Holy Lands, places where Jesus walked, and, and people report. I've, I have not been, some of you have been, and walking the places where Jesus walked, and where these things happened, and where Jesus was killed, and where uh, Paul was in prison, and all these places, and you go and you see them, and in a different way you can appreciate what happened. In perhaps a less profound way, I think this is why people like reality television. You know, there's someone you don't know, but you you feel like if you could get a camera into their home, you just know them a little better. I don't, anybody watch Tom versus Time? Yeah, I, I watched all of that. It's like, okay, so here's Tom Brady, someone who's you know, amazing accomplishments in sports, but what is he like? You know, what does his house look like? And how does he spend his free time and interact with his children? And you get to, in a small way, you, you know, there's a camera, and this is him driving himself home from ball games, and you just feel somehow more connected to somebody by seeing how they walk. Now here, it's about participation with Jesus in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. Is this just a crazy way to connect with Jesus? No. Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That as we suffer and as we experience suffering in this life, we are connecting not just in the physical locations where Jesus was, but actually experiencing Jesus' frailty that he took on human flesh and that we experience him through our suffering in a deeper way that we would not experience if we did not suffer. There's everyday suffering that you might experience, whether if, if you might be struggling with an illness or with a deep loss in your life or a suffering of accusation or lies or whatever struggle, or a, whether it's a work struggle or relationship struggle, we struggle and we suffer. And when we experience those things, we are experiencing some of the same things that Jesus experienced, and he is right there with us in the midst of our suffering. 
and really redefines our suffering as a way of knowing him more. Particularly as we follow Christ, not just the everyday suffering, but suffering that comes as a result of our faith. In another letter, Paul was writing to one of his companions named Timothy. He said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That there's actually particular suffering that you will experience in life because of your faith. As you live out your faith openly, there are people who do not like your faith. There are people who think you're stupid for believing in an invisible God, for having these values in your life, for believing the truth of the Bible. And there are people who will oppose you for that. The pattern of this world does not fit our pattern, and we suffer because of that. So whether you're suffering because of just catastrophe in your life, or you're suffering because you're just living out your faith excellently, here's the good news, is that as we walk through that suffering, we know Christ more, and we know on the other end of suffering is new life. Romans chapter 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Or in Ephesians chapter 1, it's described like this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. So as we, as we suffer, as we face suffering, even death, we know that the power that raised Jesus will raise us to new places and we can be connected to him through that. And this truth keeps us from getting depressed, it keeps us from just being so bogged down in the suffering of life that we don't see that God is still at work. We can wake up tomorrow morning as people who face whatever you're going to face, and I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow, that you can do it with a new perspective, knowing that that suffering is a tool that God can redeem and use to know him more, to live it up. So suffering is the first thing. The second way, that we can live out this reality of being united to Christ and trusting in him is about pressing on. Pressing on. The idea that we are not there yet. That we are people in process. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win that prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He goes out of his way to say, I want you to know that I have not arrived at my destination. And Paul had done some amazing things in his life, and he had planted this church, and he had built into them. They looked up to him, and he said, even though you look up to me, I still have a long way to go. I have not yet arrived. I need, to, I need to do this one thing. I need to forget what's behind me, and I need to strain towards what is ahead. And interestingly, this is a pretty familiar verse. A lot of people are familiar with this passage of Scripture. I think I misunderstood this passage for years and years. I always thought that forgetting what's behind and pressing on towards the goal meant all the things behind me are my sin, my struggles of my past, all my bad decisions, all my failures. That's in the past. I don't want to dwell on those things because that'll make me sad. I need to focus on goodness and, and on Jesus in moving forward. Now that's 
there's nothing wrong, I mean, there's, there's nothing incorrect, but here, this particular verse is not Paul talking about his past struggles and his past sin. He's talking about his past accomplishments. He's talking about all the good things he's done, all the religious things that he's accomplished, all the steps that he's taken in his life. He's saying, I leave all that stuff behind to move forward. It's about not, I'm not going to stop here and celebrate, oh, look at where God brought me and look at how great it is. He's just saying, look, I'm still in process and I've still got a way to go and I have next steps to take on this journey and so do you. I've been having a lot of fun watching the Winter Olympics with my family. The kids are loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. And there is a sport, which if you're not into such things, uh, you may not even have heard of, called snowboard cross. Are we familiar with snowboard cross? I'll explain it like this. They take, it's, it's a very pure sport because it's just a race from the top of the mountain to the bottom. And there's a bunch of hills and jumps. Six people on snowboards all at the same time go. And whoever finishes the, fin whoever crosses the finish line first is the winner. It, but it's, but they're on snowboards, and it's, it's tight. And so they're knocking each other over, and there's, they're wiping out left and right. And it doesn't matter if you wipe out. You get back up, and you can still finish. And when this sport was first introduced into the Winter Olympics in 2006, there was a star named Lindsay Jacob Ellis. And you may be familiar with her story. She was so dominant in this. She made it to the finals, and she, was, she gets out of the gate, and she is five seconds ahead of all the competition behind her. And everybody else is trying to get positioned. She's way ahead. She knows she's got the race won. She goes over the last bump, and she does like a little trick, a little, kind of grabs her board and does this little flashy thing, but wipes out before the finish line, and her opponent passes by while she's getting up, even though she had this huge lead. And the, the lesson learned, and she's since gone on to win all kinds of competitions, and uh, that, was, that was an 06, so now she was 20 years old, so she wiped out and uh, 2010 and 2014, and then she finished fourth place just off the podium this year, but still a very talented athlete. But the lesson learned is, don't celebrate too early. Don't feel like you've crossed the line when you haven't crossed the line. And here, the lesson for every one of us is, look, we all have next steps of, of faith. We can't just rest on our past accomplishments. This truth for us helps us to avoid what I call spiritual nostalgia. The, the feeling that there, there was mountaintop experiences in my past that I'm clinging to. There was a, a faith community that I was a part of that really nurtured me, and I, I just wish I was there again, right? A ministry experience or a mission trip or, or some time in your spiritual journey that you felt was so meaningful and so good that if you could just get back to that, then you'd really be growing in faith. And what Paul is saying is, you know, all that stuff is great, but I'm leaving it behind because if I just focus on the nostalgia in the past, my old church or the way we used to sing that song or the way we used to the program or the class I went to or the teaching I heard, if we just go back there, you're going to miss what God has in store for us ahead to not cling to the past. So we forget what's behind and we listen to this language straining towards what's, what's ahead. Pressing on. Now, this is actually, the athletic image is a good one for us because this is athletic imagery. He's, he's trying to run for the prize, straining and pressing on towards this thing that God has in store for us. And it's very intentional. You know, it's one thing to be an Olympic athlete, 
you, know, you spend your life training and you get to represent your country and you're on this international stage and you can be declared the greatest in the world you know, in your event and in your discipline and, and you, know, you, you just work your whole life. But people, even locally, people will train for athletic things. I don't know if you've ever run like a half marathon or a marathon. And I know people who have done that recently and who people I love who have done that. And it's good, but you have to, you can't just most of us can't just go, go out and run a race like that. You have to train and work your way up, and you have to change your diet, perhaps, and change your schedule and work hard at it. And uh, you go and you run your half marathon, and at the end of it, you say, well, what, what, what did you get? You get a T-shirt. <laughs> and you get a medal, if it's even made of metal, like a piece of plastic that's painted with shiny paint. Um, but you changed your whole schedule just to do... Now, see, I don't run because that's a really good way to get injured. But, but, you've, but for these people, I understand, you, change, you, do all, you pursue all these things, and at the end of it, you know, there's the pride of, I did it, I accomplished it, and, and that's not a bad thing. So go for it. The point is, if at the end of the goal is knowing Jesus, knowing the God of the universe, and experiencing his power and love in your life, why wouldn't we just take steps of, well, why don't I be intentional about that? Why don't I press on with a plan? Because you can get up tomorrow and say, well, maybe I'll experience Christ today. Maybe I'll see God at work in my world around me. Or you could wake up with a plan to intentionally pursue that. Not just to get the t-shirt, but to, to experience God's love. So, that my, so the hope here is to say, we could be people who say, I haven't arrived yet. I have steps yet to take, and I'm actually going to be intentional and press into those things. And I'm, I have this sort of a holy dissatisfaction with where I'm at, and that's okay. Because I'm not resting on the past. I'm moving forward, and I'm, that's going to drive me into a life of prayer. That's going to drive me into a life of searching God's word to know him and being intentional to press on into that. Again, very active language, kind of training language, which can inspire us. So we're going to... We're going to experience the reality of what God has for us as we suffer. We're going to experience it as we press on and press into what he's calling us towards. Thirdly, we're going to experience it as we follow godly examples. Godly examples, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. We've already talked about this a little bit in this as we've studied this letter together. But it's so important to have examples of faith and examples of people who are excellently following Jesus that we can emulate. In your life, you may have had those great examples. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or somebody in your family. Maybe you didn't have that. And maybe you're sitting here and you know how hard it is to try to figure out this whole faith in Jesus thing by yourself and not having people who are nurturing you. And that's one of the reasons we don't just gather here on Sundays. We gather into smaller groups to be with people who are in different stages of their journey to learn from one another and sharpen one another. I, I, I meet with a group of, uh, of guys. They're all pastors, and three of us are kind of younger, but two guys are older and realizing oh, so much to learn. But here are examples of men who have done what at least I'm trying to do and who have trusted Jesus excellently and I can look to them as good examples. 
But for us as a community, um, it's not just having that example, but it's no stretch to read this and say, you know what, I think every Christian should seek to be that example. Especially if you didn't have it in your life, you could be that for someone else. You could be that for a child. We don't want any child in this church to not have good examples of mature Christian adults who are willing not just to teach them, but to be an example of loving Jesus to the next generation. Robin Cotta is the director of the children's ministry here at the Andover campus, Jane Mulcahy at the North Andover campus. These are women who have a passion to see the faith, to see our faith, not just communicated and taught to children, but lived out. And they don't just want to teach, they want to raise up other leaders and they want to walk alongside people to equip them to excellently live out the faith before the children in our church. So to one another, to our children, and it's so important why. Verse 18 explains why. He says, I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. There's enemies out there. There, And more and more, and I know every generation, we all think we have it the worst. Like, oh, it's worse than it was. And in Paul's generation, he felt strongly there are enemies of the gospel of Jesus. There's enemies of the cross. And I feel more and more that this world we live in is antagonistic towards faith. It's we live in a world that does not care about the truth of the Bible and of God's plan for life and for knowing him and, and just even having faith. And more and more it's vocally and actively against people of faith, the world we live in. And that is so much why we need one another and we need godly examples of what it means to excellently follow Jesus in a world that does not want anything to do with it. Godly examples. So we have suffering, which helps us to know Christ. We have pressing on intentionally, which drives us forward. We have godly examples in the midst of adversity. And lastly, we have a heavenly focus. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we always have to keep that in the forefront of our mind, or we'll just get dragged into the everyday grind of life, pursuing things that really don't matter. If, think about citizenship. If you were just done with this country, so you're just done with America. Say, this, I'm, I've, uh, I've lived here long enough. I don't want anything to do with our government and our way of life, I'm moving to a foreign country, and I'm out of here. And you apply for citizenship, say you're going to go someplace way better like Brazil. I'll use that as an example because my Brazilian brother in Christ here, uh, your home country. So I'm, I decided I'm done with America, I'm going to Brazil. They've granted me citizenship, but there's a waiting period. I have to wait six months to get there. Now, I'm not going to take that six months and redecorate my house here in this country and get all kinds of things that I can't travel with me there. I'm not going to uh, sort of 
think about the, I'm not gonna try to learn the English language better. I'm gonna start learning Portuguese. I'm gonna start learning the, the cultures and the customs of the country that I'm moving to, where I'm gonna be a citizen, because I'm gonna need those skills, because my, you know, my other skills here really aren't as, as valuable. And the stuff that I have here, I may not need there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, up, upgrade my ice fishing equipment and buy a new ice auger, which I sort of need now, but if I move to Brazil, I don't need those things. So here, here's the point. If we, are, if we are citizens of heaven, then what are we doing every day? Why are we pursuing material things that we can't take with us? What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind for my children? Why do I have so much stuff that I just need that, that's just going to get thrown away? What am I, what am I pursuing? And, and, if, and if we don't keep this heavenly perspective, then we're just going to get dragged down into the grind of the everyday and trying to accomplish what everybody around us is accomplishing and forgetting that we have different priorities. And then some of those material pursuits and some of those success pursuits, as the world describes them, you can let them go. Suffering pressing on, godly examples, heavenly focus. I want to know Christ. And when and we can know Christ, and when we know him, everything else fades away. But we may suffer. We have not arrived. There's work to be done. We need other people. We need to just remember where we're headed. But great quote I came across this week, and I forget who it's attributed to, but a wise person said this. said, knowing Christ isn't just the aim of life. It is life. Knowing Christ isn't just the aim of life. It is life. And in the backdrop of this is the reality of death, the reality of the fact that life is fragile, that you do not know how many heartbeats you have left. You do not know... Um, how many days you will wake up. So what are you striving for? And what struggles do you need to press on through? And what will be your focus? May God grant us the grace to know Christ. Amen.